0: First Peter chapter three: "Friend, are you here this morning and you believe what you just sang? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Because if you believe that He is Lord, then you will live your life into submission to Jesus. It will change how you live your life. We're going to pray. And then we're going to dive into this passage that demonstrates that belief in Jesus Christ, salvation through the name of Jesus Christ, will transform your home. And it will transform men, husbands, how you live with your wife. And if it doesn't, I got questions. And you should have questions for me. Before we go to prayer, just a quick reminder. Parents, if you have first through fourth graders this is me forgetting to tell you what I was supposed to tell you before. If you have first through fourth, fourth graders, you're going to pick them up upstairs this morning, not in the Family Life Center due to the luncheon afterwards. But let's go to the Lord in prayer as we look to the epistle, the epistle of Peter to the dear church. Let's pray. Gracious Father. Lord, we come to you this morning and we are reminded that you are all glorious, all wise, all sufficient, that you are in charge. And that we should live that way in light of your authority, your sovereignty. And we can do it because you've already done it. You lived in perfect submission to the Father and gave us an example. And you made it possible through salvation for us to walk in righteousness to walk in submission to you. And I pray that would be so evident through your word this morning that your spirit would use the word of God to produce that kind of living in our lives, the kind of living that points people to Jesus, the kind of living that magnifies the name of God in our individual lives, in our homes, in our marriages, and in the entire church. And we pray this for your namesake and to the glory of God of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, Paul writes to the husbands, and we've heard this already, but I want to come back to it again. Likewise, husbands, live in in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers be not hindered. See, if our lives and our homes are lived in submission to Christ, it communicates something. It communicates something about God. And it communicates our understanding of who we are in light of who He is, right? We want to, we say, as believers, that we want the world to know Jesus. Well, if we want the world to know about Jesus, then we want the world to know that the truth about Him, right? Not just some, like he's there if you ever have a prayer, just call out to him. We want them to know him as he is. And one way we communicate that is how we live our lives. Alistair Begg says if our Christianity doesn't work at home, our Christianity doesn't work at all. He's not saying Christianity doesn't work at all. He's saying my Christianity, if it's not lived out at home, then, then that, that's not working. Because real Christianity affects how you live. In your home. Home is the place where our Christian walk should be most evident and most fruitful. But we all know that's where it's often the messiest, where it's often the most difficult, where we are known by the people we live among and they know our flaws and our problems. But yet, in the light of that, the more we know that, the more opportunity we have to demonstrate that we trust God in spite of the mess in our homes. Specifically marriage is a, is meant to be by God we're told in Ephesians chapter chapter 5 that is to be a living picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. In other words, how we live paints a picture for the world of the relationship that God has with his church. In other words, we can have a chance to magnify the beauty of what Christ has done for his church by how we live our lives in the, in the Christian home specifically how Christians live as husbands and wives, truly matters. See, if a husband is living in submission to Christ, it'll change how he thinks about his wife how he, and how he acts towards his wife. In the end, it has a lot to do, frankly, with how effective he is spiritually in his home. And we'll see that by the end of this verse. For those who are single and here today, and you're like, dude, I don't have to live this out. Well, maybe one day, But maybe you're a lady here today and you're like, you know what? I'm never going to be a husband. You know what? Whether you're single now or single for your entire life or whether you're a woman, I believe clearly that the principles and truths in this passage have some very deep lessons for all of us as the body of Christ. As we'll see later in Paul's letters to the Ephesians, this is something we all are to take note of, right? Right? How a husband and wife relate to each other provides instruction for our relationship with Christ. In other words, we can learn something about being the church by watching the marriages around us. We can learn something about the church as we are instructed as believing spouses. There's an important point to be made, though, right here. Okay? There's, we're in a day and age when self-improvement blogs and self-help books are huge business. If you can have a a, a blog or a TikTok or something to show people how to be better them, right? you can make big money. You can market that and make big money. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. But friends, this is not a self-improvement guide here. This is not a marriage improvement guide as we look at this passage. In other words, what I'm saying is this was Peter writing to believers how to live a Christian life. Now, can that improve how life is? Absolutely. But he's not writing it to just everybody to say, hey, if you'll just apply these principles, you'll have a better life, a better marriage, and be a better husband. You say, why does that matter? Because, friend, this morning, it's important that you understand that you first need to be a believer to affirm the truths that we just sang in order to be able to live this out. If you're to live in submission to Jesus, doesn't it begin first with you, your life, living in submission to him, repenting of your sins, and coming by faith to Jesus Christ? It begins there, and then it flows out into how you live your relationships. You just have to read the first two chapters of 1 Peter, and you'll see a description of a believer. They have been ransomed from sin by Christ's death. They have a desire to know and do the will of God. They've surrendered to God's call from darkness into his marvelous life. They've received the mercy of God by the grace of God to live for the glory of God. And they've set their hope fully on the grace that will be fully enjoyed at Christ's return. That's some of the, the ground we've traveled as we've gone through 1 Peter 1 and 2. And, and that's a description of a believer. Does that describe you? Does that describe who you are? Have you been redeemed? Have you followed the call from darkness to light? You've repented and now are trusting Christ. Are you setting your hope fully on the grace that you'll receive in Christ? If not, my first invitation this morning to you is to believe. To by faith trust in Christ as your Savior. Submit your will to His will. Repenting of your sins by faith trusting in His righteousness and in His death on the cross for you and there we have a new start. If you have questions about that I'd love to talk more with you after but, but this is the context in which we find ourselves applying these truths of 1st Peter chapter 3. In fact in 1st Peter 3:7 Peter is continuing a string of instruction on submission you haven't caught that, you've probably heard submission more in the last two weeks than you've heard for the last five years of your life. But this morning you're going to hear it again in the sense of husbands living in submission to Christ because he begins the verse with likewise husbands. Well, likewise to what? Well, in, in the same manner that the submission and of slaves and wives in response to the example of Jesus was submission to Jesus, so too husbands are to submit their lives to Christ, and how they live in relationship to their wives. Now, if you're a young lady here this morning, and you're thinking one day that you might consider or even want to get married, I pray that you're looking for a young man who is already modeling that he can live in submission to other people. That he is not a, you know, the great, when you're around him, he's not the greatest thing he's ever known. Right, He knows how to honor other people who are in authority over him. Because if he can't honor people above him, if he can't honor, most of all, his mom and dad, then there's issues. There's issues. Will he then be willing to to honor the Lord and submit himself to God and the way that he loves you? That's the call here. We see beginning in 1 Peter 2 that Jesus submitted to the Father for our good. In submission to Jesus, servants were to sub- respectfully submit to their masters, even bad masters, right? Bent masters, we, we learned. In submission to Jesus, wives were to, su- to subject themselves to their husbands, even to husbands who did not submit to or obey God. And so in submission to Jesus, husbands are to submit their earthly passions and possessions to the needs of their wives, making her good their priority. Here's how Peter describes the way in which a husband can dwell in an understanding way, right? He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. A husband in submission to Jesus. Okay. So we're assuming that this is a Christian husband and he desires to live into submission to Jesus. Then this is what it looks like. He commits his life to lovingly knowing his wife. And I would say, and applying that knowledge to living with her. Applying what he knows. So it's not just about this head knowledge. It's about knowing and living in an understanding way, applying that knowledge to life. This word, to dwell or to live, is the idea, this is, brain, this is just mind-boggling, that they reside together. That's deep, isn't it? Husbands reside. You guys are really tired. You're just like my ABF this morning. You guys are half asleep. Yeah, there's no depth to that except the fact of the matter is a lot of times we can live in the same house and not dwell together. Right? We can each be going our own way and, and live without consideration one for the other. And frankly, in the end, that can be more painful than someone who's almost physically entirely absent. You may have experienced that where you show up at home every day and you both are there, but there's no living together. In order to live out the truths of these verses, you're going to have to dwell with each other. And this word, the only place I found it specifically used this way, is the idea of cohabiting. Not just, hey, we happen to be two people living in the same place. It's actually referring to spouses. Living together as spouses should. Men, we may need a reminder that we must dwell with our wives. We have to live with them. And I'm not saying it have to in the negative sense of the world. I'm saying it in the we must sense. It is in, if we are living in submission to God, we don't have a choice of, hey, we married her, but we got our own stuff and we do our own thing. And she goes and does her own thing. And I don't worry about her. She doesn't worry about me. Right? We're to dwell with one another Some people talk about doing life together, and that's great. We as a church ought to do life together, right? We ought to have time that we spend with each other, involved with each other, growing in knowledge of each other, and applying that knowledge to how then we can encourage one another, and so much the more as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. But if you're doing that with the church out here and you're not doing it with your spouse, then you've got it all flipped around. Some men might need to cut off a Bible study or two and spend a little more time at home with their wives. Or they might need to cut off a little bit of time going to a ball game or, or chasing work, right? There's a whole lot of ways in which men can get off kilter and their, their mind set on other things. But it's true of the body of Christ, too. Because the minute you start going, that, well, okay, now he's just talking about husbands, I can check out. Just a minute. If if we as the church are to emulate the relationship of a husband and wife, then shouldn't we as the church with Christ make sure beyond all doubt that we're not checked out, that we're not just doing this church thing that we're showing up on Sunday and okay, I did my thing, did my duties. Now I can move on. It's no duty. It's not about duty. It's about relationship. It's about dwelling with the one Emmanuel, God with us. He came and pitched his tent among us. I think He wants to live with you. I think He desires for intimacy with you, friends. Men, that's what we're to do with our wives. We're to desire true intimacy, investing our lives, not just in our coworkers and our buddies and our workout friends and our men's Bible study or whatever else it is, but with our wives present, and engaged. So what does it mean to live, to dwell in an understanding way? Well, the Greek actually reads it like this. Husbands likewise dwelling together according to knowledge. Oh, so I'm just to write a book about my wife. Okay, some of you maybe are more academic and you want to write a book about them. Okay, others of you like, yeah, I know enough. Okay, to stay out of trouble. Right? And that's not what it's saying. We're to dwell according to the knowledge. In other words, my knowledge should drive then how I live in relationship to her. Okay? And there's several ways that you might need to know her. First of all, the knowledge of her. Her needs, her strengths, her struggles, her desires, to dwell according to those things. Not someone else's wife, not women in general, according to your wife, to know her well. And sometimes it's easier just to say, hey, you know, I'm kind of tired, don't want to talk. But you need we're to dwell according to her. She is God's creation and you glorify God when you recognize her individually as God's creation and live in relationship to that. She is, she is blessed and God is glorified as it is is creation. But not only the knowledge of her, but the knowledge of her calling in Christ. Elsewhere in the New Testament, when it talks about this idea of knowledge, well, according, dwelling according to knowledge, it's talking about the knowledge of Christ. And so as the daughter of Christ, you're to live in a way that demonstrates that knowledge. In other words, that matters in how the, what we prioritize in life. And we'll talk more about that. It, it matters in terms of what we live for in life. It matters in terms of what you recognize about your wife. If her calling is in Christ, you will make much of God's, of, of God's salvation as you make much of, of getting involved with, knowing, and then living in light of her calling in Christ. How is she struggling in her walk? How can I encourage her? In her walk? What can I do to, to support her in that walk with Christ? But not only your knowledge of her as an individual your, and your knowledge of her and her calling with Christ, but your knowledge of her, her as her calling as a wife. Okay? If you want to go back and think more on that calling, I commend to you to go back and listen to last week's message. I'm just telling you, it was fantastic. Pastor Chris really helped us unpack this idea of of a wife living in submission to Christ, even with a husband who maybe he doesn't deserve it. Well, is there a husband who deserves it? No. It's all about what Christ has done. So go back and listen to that. But understand that the calling of a wife is very unique in this sense. And again, we'll, the rest of the verse, will dig this out more. But your wife is a co-heir with you in Christ. She is your equal. Some of you maybe shudder if, if you grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist church when you hear that. But I'm telling you, she's your equal. I'm going to let her just sit there. But I'm not talking about, about egalitarianism. I'm talking about she's your equal in Christ, she's your equal intelligence, maybe surpassing, she's your equal in every way. But she's different. And her role is different, her calling is different, and she's got to live out that role and that calling with you. That's hard. That's not easy being the wife to Stephen Schultz, because I am a sinner and I am fallen and I struggle. And my wife still, when she agreed to marry me, said, I will live according to the design that God has given. Man, that's a, that is an amazing thing. That's an honorable thing. Not so much not honoring to me, but honoring to God. That's how much she wants to honor God, that she will live according to her role, her design. And in that, as we live in an understanding way of that, we glorify God's design. So we have the opportunity to, to glorify God's creation as we understand her. We get the opportunity to glorify God's salvation as we honor her calling in Christ. And we get the opportunity to glorify God's design as we honor her living out her role in submission to Jesus. See, your goal is to understand her well, ultimately, that you might love her well. We've referred to Ephesians a couple times, and we're going to do it again. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 says this, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. See, the answer, ultimately, is not for husbands to think of themselves as the gift or the answer for all of your wife's problems, right? If you take that package of who she is, of her salvation and her role, you begin to think, well, the answer to all that, of, of really help, being of help to her, is really walking with her and pointing her to Jesus. Pointing away from me and saying, yeah, honey, this is hard. Let's do this together. Well, let's do this together, walking in faith to Christ, let's do this together. Asking questions like, how can I be better at loving her and leading her in our home? How can I work alongside her or at least talk to her about what she does and understand what it's like so that I can be a better encouragement and support to her? Asking, what do I do that is discouraging or disparaging to her role as my wife? When I begin to ask practical questions like that, I'm beginning to think in terms of, okay, who is she? What's her role and what's her calling? And how can I be part of it with her? If that's God's creation and that's God's salvation and that's God's design and I begin to partner with her in that way and help move things that direction, God's going to bless that. God's going to to do the work that he's promised to do, right? He's promised he will sanctify you. As a believer, well, I'm just going to be a partner in that with God. He's going to make it successful. That's going to make it effective. Not me having all the wisdom and answers. Not me having some plan in place. Not me. I can guarantee you that my wife's growth in Christ is not because of me, it's because of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, accomplishing that work. I just get to be a partner in it for life. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. So, by continually laying down our life, just as Christ did for the church, husbands have the privilege and the honor of participating in encouraging and supporting their wives in going on for Jesus. When we live this way as husbands, we demonstrate, we demonstrate that our wives are honorable, that we truly believe. That they are honorable, and we honor them according to who God made them to be. And that's where he goes next in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So let's put it together. Husbands, dwell with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So as I live with her in an understanding way, honoring her as God's creation, according to God's calling and God's design, then I am now showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I'm respecting her. I'm showing that honor. A husband glorifies God when he honors the design and role of his wife. Now, men, who is it that we normally honor? We, or, we honor the top dog, that five-star general, right? We honor the top athlete. We honor whoever it is that's the most successful. Go read books, right? You go read books about all the famous people who've done great things. They're the top dog. In the Christian world, we want to honor the, the pastor of the really big church, right? That's what we want to talk about. It's all about who's, who's the greatest. That's not what he says here. He says, in this case, you will honor the design that God has for your wife when you honor and praise her living out that role. See, Peter says we're to continually give honor to a wife who chooses to submit to Jesus and place themselves in a role of service. And I would say, even when they don't, if in keeping with the rest of the passage about servants with masters and husbands or wives with husbands, I'd say, husbands, when your wives don't live in a way that demonstrates submission to Jesus, guess what? You're to live with them in an understanding way. If they always live perfectly, why would there be a command to have to dwell with them in an understanding way? You'd be like, no, she's perfect. Ha, I understand it. Got it. Clear. No, this, it means because life is hard. And a lot of times you're not easy to live in relationship to. And so therefore, it's, it's kind of messy. But this idea of as the weaker vessel is not merely just an emphasis on a physical weakness or fragility. I mean, we can point to plenty of examples where a wife is physically stronger or a wife maybe mentally have be, be wiser and smarter. It's not talking about a weak weakness there. Now, if you look to biology, yeah, is there a difference? Absolutely. You look at biology and you compare track runners, Right. The best male track runner and the best female track runner will there will always be a difference. I think twenty one point eight was the new women's record um, in the t- two hundred and twenty meters yesterday set by a former Kentucky Wildcat, I think um, that happened over the weekend. Well, the men are running down around 19 and, and, and they both keep moving down. We're not here to say one's better than another. They're just designed differently. They're created differently. And we go to Scripture for that, right? And then we go to biology to say, yep, it kind of fits with what we expect from what is written in Scripture. But I don't think that is the primary point here. The point is not, well... You know, hey, you, you, you men are so strong and so amazing that, oh, you just got to really watch out for the little teacup here. You know? It, you know, just take care of her. She's really super fragile. And so dwell with her like a little broken teacup. Um, that's not, as I understand it, the picture. And I think you get that because of what comes next. You see, the idea really is that as a co-heir with Christ, she's your equal. But she's placing herself in the role of the weaker, of the next in command, in terms of rank. It's the same idea that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 through 25. won't take time to read it, but just to say this, in that passage, members of the church who seem weaker and less honored and less visible are treated with greater honor and concern, being recognized as what they truly are indispensable husbands big opportunity is your wife indispensable to your life and your family that was lame i will i'll just say baby you are indispensable to our family okay i could not live indispensable you you guys do work we work that out later over lunch or something And we're to treat them as indispensable. We're to honor them as indispensable. Friend, if you're in the body of Christ, I don't care your role. I don't care your gift. The one who stands up here on a Sunday morning is no more important than the person right now who's taking children to the bathroom over there. Not a bit. I should honor that person above than those who have the more vocal, outspoken gifts. That's what Scripture says. And in the same way, in a home, yeah, it may be that it's not, not maybe. God has given this role of a man to lead in his home, but that doesn't mean he's better. That doesn't mean he ought to get more cred out of it. In fact, the honor should go to his wife. He should rise up truly and call her blessed. There's ways in which we do that. Do we honor our wives by making her primary in our lives? One way you can be sure that you do it is through scheduling. I screwed this up as a kid. I kid, yeah, I was a kid, 23-year-old kid. Um, we first got married, we were in Waterloo, Iowa, and I was, in those first few years, I went from being a teacher and coach to being a teacher and a coach and a youth pastor, a young husband, and a new dad. And in those days, there's about a year there where I was doing all that, and, and I tell you what, it was everything I could do to get that schedule, youth ministry schedule out, and I would just jam on that thing and get it put out to the, 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 the church and think, ah, good, got that done. And then I'd show it to my wife. Yeah, some of you get it. And it'd be like, oh, that's our anniversary that you're going on that wilderness trip on, or we had plans for that night, or I was hoping that we could do this. You know, very reasonable request. And I I wasn't dwelling with her in an understanding way. I wasn't showing honor to her because I didn't consider her before the other things in my life. I put those other things in front of her. A wise brother, uh, Dr. Moore, um, one of the pastors there at that church, came to me and he said, you know, here's what I do with my wife. I look at the calendar ahead and I, first of all, ask her what's on the calendar. And B, I go through and I X out a night each week, at least one night every week. And the only way we change that X is if we agree on it together, right? And it may be that we don't have any set plans, but we've got plans and that's to be us. I dwell with my wife and honor her as I place her above everything else in my life other than God. So it may be you can do that simply through scheduling, but you prioritize her. You can also honor her by listening to her. Do you seek her wisdom before the wisdom of your buddies, of your best friend, of your co-workers? Do you honor her? Do you honor her by seeing her through what is primary in God's eyes? Do you only look at her as the world does? Or do you see the internal, imperishable beauty within to truly honor her, her recognize the things that, that most reflect Jesus in her life. Do you see that? Are you looking for it? Honor that. Lift that up, right? In that way you understand who she is and what she's living for. You glorify her maker and you honor her in her efforts to glorify Jesus. Do you honor her earthly achievements and success, which the world honors, Or do you honor the daily service she gives to you, your children, the church, your neighbors, and the true good that we talked about last week, the good that she does, the true good that she does in in the community? Hey, friends, brothers, number one, pay attention. Look, be observant, be a scientist, be an observer, and then speak up. You know, I know we, we have a limited number of words, I'm told, right? Some, more, some fewer than others. But use those few words to praise your wife. Use those few words to honor your wife. The world beats her down enough. You lift her up, build her up. Do you honor and encourage her walk of faith? Or do you simply criticize her struggle that she may have with anxiety? Her, her struggle with fear. Her struggle with not feeling like she's enough. Do you just stand back and criticize all that? And add to the weight of that? Or do you recognize it and say, Man, you're my closest friend. You're my spouse. You're my closest sister in Christ. And I want to be in this with you. I tell you, I've failed more than I've succeeded in that. But friends, that's the call. To dwell with our wives in an, un, in a, in a, in an understanding way. Giving Honor to her as the weaker vessel. She has put herself in a place where you can have the most influence in her life of really any other person. Are you using that influence for the, for her, truly for her good and to honor her as precious to God and to you? Another, speak well of her when you're with friends. Husbands, don't you dare. Don't us dare. Complain about our wives, make fun of our wives, belittle our wives, joke about our wives in a demeaning way, in any way, when we're with our friends or anyone else, obviously. Man, honor and praise for our wives is not simply flattery. It's not a way to get what you want, to, to somehow manipulate her. No, honor and praise is that. You don't honor her when you manipulate her. You honor her when you highlight what is truly honorable, when you respect what is truly worthy of respect. You cherish her as God's creation, God's woman equipped by God with unique roles and gifts and co-heir with you by the grace of God. And that's where he goes. That's what makes this so amazing is she's a fellow traveler with you side by side. And yet... These roles are to be lived out in submission to Christ. Here's what he says next. Honor your wives as the weaker vessel since. In other words, because. That's why that previous thing is all in relationship to, hey, you are, you're both equals. But she's put herself in this role willingly in submission, out of submission to Jesus. So because of that, honor her because of that. They are heirs, or some versions say co-heirs, with you of the grace of life. See, we're to honor and encourage our wife as a fellow work of grace, not just as an object of our desire and affection. The believing husband and wife are fellow beggars. That's what we are. We're fellow beggars, spiritual beggars, who both understood their need by the grace of God and were saved by the grace of God. And as both receiving that, it should change how you think about each other. It should be like, you know what? I'm not looking at her now critically. I'm looking at her as in amazement. Look at what God's done in her life and look what God's doing in her life and look what he's promised to continue doing in her life. And when I see her that way, it's no longer just about this narrow view that the world has of a husband and wife. It's so limiting. You see, we're called to be deeply involved with each other. Both husband and wife are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. For this reason, as fellow heirs together, husbands and wives are not only earthly cohabitants, not just to dwell together, but intimate fellow travelers on the journey of grace. Tim and Kathy Keller note in their book on marriage, great book once you get past the first chapter. The first chapter is forever long, and, but once you get past it, there's tons of practical stuff. And I love this quote in their chapter on friendship. Friendship is a deep oneness that develops as two people with increasing knowledge of one another and speaking the truth in love to each other journey together to the same horizon. So they're, they're, they're journeying together, they're speaking the truth in love together, but they're both moving somehow towards the same horizon. Now, in friendships at large, it may be a small horizon, it may be some little thing, right? We play dominoes together. We want to be, we want to enjoy dominoes. That's a, that's a small horizon, but it's, but it's there. Okay. We do this together. We're fishing buddies. Okay. We, we go fishing together. We're moving towards being better fishermen together. Those are all small things, fine things, but this is far greater. This is a more distant horizon, but a more certain horizon as spiritual friends that we move to. In fact, they go on to say spiritual friendship is the greatest journey of all. Because the horizon is so high and so far, yet so certain. It is nothing less than the day of Jesus Christ and what it will be like when we see him face to face. That's what we're moving towards. That's what my wife and I are moving towards. A lot of times we get our eyes off of that. And we can move all other directions throughout a day. But in the end, we come back to this view. Friends, if you're not married, or if you are married, as the body of Christ, we're not just doing that with our spouses. That's what we're doing as friends in Christ. If you're single, man, pour yourself into the life of someone else who's moving to that same horizon. Don't only spend it on the temporary stuff of life. Find something bigger, and you already have it, and that is the horizon of walking towards Jesus. And that day when we'll together be with the Lord. It is a wonderful journey, but it is a journey, right? It's a haul. It's a long haul. A daily growing in grace. Walking in the necessary grace that God supplies. The question, husbands, are you committed to your wife's growth in grace? Are you her greatest encourager? Are you her greatest partner in that walk? Does she know that it's safe with you to share whatever her struggle is and know that it won't be used as a weapon against you, right? That it's a safe place. It's a place to be transparent together. And again, I say that we as the church can learn from that relationship of what it should be in a marriage, where, where a husband and wife can be spiritually naked and unashamed before one another knowing that they've committed to love me. No matter what, to be fully known and to be fully loved. that's together as the body of Christ, we need to grow in that transparency that we might then come alongside and encourage each other and, and to help each other and to pray for each other. That's the picture that we have. God's intent for his church and God's intentions for husband and wives are so beautifully painted in Ephesians 5:25 through27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We've read this part before and gave himself up for her that we might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Do you hear that sanctifying work, right? That we're working together with the word of God to produce to produce this beautiful sanctification, this Christ-likeness so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus is all in. How do I know that? He gave his life for it. We as husbands are to be all in on the growth of our wives in godliness, just like we are with our own lives. Inasmuch as we want to grow in Christ, man, let's be all in for our wife's walk with Jesus. When a husband and wife are both fully committed together, man, that is that is an amazing beautiful picture. Of submission. Because if they're all in and say, Jesus, no matter what, we want to do, we want to live in obedience to you. Well, that includes then how I'm going to live in relationship to my wife and how she's going to live in relationship to me. And it will then transform how we walk forward together. Really, a marriage like this should be a greenhouse for growth, right? It should be a safe place where we can talk about things, work through things, you know, confess our sins to one another, um, encourage one another, build one another up in the faith. All the things that those one another's, 52 of them I think there are in the New Testament for the church, this ought to be the greenhouse. This is where it ought to be poured in ways like every day. Yeah, you may not be able to be with the rest of the church every day, but you should be able to on a fairly regular basis be with your spouse. I know we travel and do different things, but that ought to be what we're pouring into each other's lives. It's a greenhouse. Instead, we, we can turn it into to an oppressive, dangerous environment if we're not careful, if we're not quick to forgive, if we're not quick to be kind, if we're not quick to be tender-hearted and loving and living out the fruit of the Spirit. So while it's true in marriage, it's so very true in the church. In Christ, the master gardener, is at work in our lives, and he wants to see this growth happen. And very quickly, there's three passages, I think, first couple in Second Peter and then one in Ephesians that describe how this works. First of all, in 2 Peter 1, verse 1, he talks about this priority of growing in Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, you see, you've got two. He's talking about equals with them, and what is happening? They're growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's true of the church; should be true in our marriages. Second Peter three eighteen, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So again, this emphasis on growing in grace, and then Paul describes the same growth and how it actually happens then in Ephesians 4.15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Husbands, how do you see your wives? Because how you see your wife, how you understand your wife determines then how you will live with them, And how gracious you are towards them. How involved you are in their whole lives, holistically. And when we know and understand each other, we will more effectively pray for one another. And do you see what he talks about next? If I know my wife and I understand my wife and I'm growing and honoring her, then then I will grow in understanding better how to pray for her. So having commanded husbands to dwell in an understanding way and honor their wives, then he concludes the verse by saying, so that your prayers would not be hindered. See, the effectiveness of a husband's spiritual mission is closely connected with how he knows and cherishes his wife. How a husband, the husband's spiritual effectiveness, his mission, right? And what is his mission? Primary thing in his mission is, Is It begins at home. You're You're part of the Great Commission, but that Great Commission begins right there at home. And so your primary mission is first with your wife. And if you are not doing that well, guess what? You're probably not praying well. You're probably not... If you are praying, you're not focused on the right things. If you're not dwelling with... How can you? If you don't know your wife, how can you best pray for your wife? You see if God's will is for you to lovingly lead in your home and you refuse to submit to that and to the instruction that he's given right here in this passage before us, then why is it that we would think that that we're going to be praying in in keeping with his commands? So, Lord, I reject this idea of living with my wife in an understanding way. You don't know her. You don't know how impossible she is. She is the worst to live with and I'm not going to do it. Well, you know what? That's his command. And if I'm going to reject that command, then what's I going to translate into my prayers? What am I praying for, for my wife? Or just change her. Oh, I want to change you. I want to change you to live in submission to your wife. Not submission, I got that wrong. In an I want you to be live in submission to me, and so you dwell with your wife in an understanding way. But, Lord, you don't understand. No, that's, you're missing my point. I want you to dwell with your wife who's very difficult to live with in an understanding way. Submit yourself to my will, and then we'll move on. Proverbs 28.9 says this, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You don't want to live in submission to Jesus and you just want to live how you want to live your selfish life, live your way and have your comfort, have your respect, you have your as king of the castle, then God says, if you're king, then don't come to the king asking for just favors. In fact, I think it goes further. If your greatest desire, truly as a believing husband, is for your wife's greatest good, then you will grow to know her, and in knowing her now, you can most intimately and carefully and lovingly pray for her. You won't have a hindrance to your prayers because you'll be praying in keeping with the will of God. You'll be praying for, for according to who she has been created to be by God, who she's been saved to be by God, and who she was designed to be as your wife. So husbands, as as we dwell with our wives in an understanding way, we're learning them as lifelong learners, and we're living in self-control, not living in light of our desires, but instead God's desires for her and for me, and then I can faithfully, effectively pray for her spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, and if she's not a believer, evangelistic good. As this husband more fully knows and understands his wife, he will much more effectively pray for her. Listen to what five, Ephesians 5.28 says if you want to know what the benefit of this is. Because if, if I want her absolute good, guess who, who benefits? Me. It says in Ephesians 5.28, in the same way, husbands should wife. In the same way to what? how Christ loved the church. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Who's going to benefit from this beautiful marriage that is created when a wife lives in submission to her husband? Well, she will on that part. Who's going to benefit as a husband lives in submission to to Jesus just like his wife is? He'll benefit. And who who will get the glory from it all? God will. Because Truly, we'll be able to say, God did this. God did this. We're just two fellow travelers that are in deep need of grace on our daily walk, and we wouldn't make it a day if it wasn't for His grace. Our homes, our church, and our world need effective husbands. Jesus loves the church effectively, and He gets the glory. Men, love your wife lovingly learning and honoring them and he gets the glory. Church, love one another and in so doing we mutually benefit and God gets the glory. As this picture is put before us it is our prayer that we will each live in submission to Jesus and as we submit to Jesus the body will be built up the marriages will be built up homes will be built up and Jesus Christ will get the glory because Biblical Christianity does work in our homes because it's his Christianity, not ours. It's his work, not ours. Let's pray that this week we will put that on display in our lives in an ever-creasing way. We're going to mess it up. We'll mess it up as we walk out the doors of here. Right? Right? But what do we do as a husband and wife? We forgive one another. We're tender-hearted towards one another. We're kind to one another. We speak the truth and love to one another and build each other up in our failures so that we can move forward down the path. Now, listen here. There are some in this room today, a number that I know of that are struggling in this very relationship. You're struggling to see Christ at all in the relationship. You wonder what's next. Friend, what's next is keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. When the going gets the hardest, and it's hard to not have your eyes fixed on that bum or that lady who just made life miserable for you, that's reality. But the ultimate reality is there is one who is over it all, he is loving you through it all and He is faithful in it all. You've got to keep your eyes set on Him. That being said, don't do it alone. If you can't find help at home, find help in the church, right? Come, if it's with an elder, if it's with with, with another couple, if it's your with your dear Christian friend, go, pray together. Pray for your spouse together. But it, by all means focus your eyes on how, what does it mean for me to live in submission to Christ in the middle of this mess. He gets the glory and ultimately we're refined through that to be beautiful pictures of grace for His glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, uh, Lord, it's, it's wonderful admonitions from this passage, but also, Lord, it's a, it's a difficult passage to live because our marriages can be a mess. Our lives can come with a history. And some of us husbands have a long history of not doing this. Lord forgive us. Forgive us. And Lord may we may we set our hearts on loving our spouses as you have loved us unconditionally with great sacrifice for your glory. And Lord, we pray that you do this work at Harbor Shores Church. First, that it, would, that it would just change the environment of this place as our marriages and our homes are solidly focused on submitting to Christ and then that we as an entire church together would keep our eyes fixed on submitting to Christ, not just living in light of the circumstances, but living in light of who you are and who you've desired us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.